Like I said, questions are on the, on the screen. And we will be, in a sense, following the, the outline of, that, uh, um, of those questions. And that's what I try to do. I try to outline the, the sermon and the questions. So just about each question is a point in the sermon. So uh, that should help you stay guided and, and help our brother as, as he uh, asks those and we respond uh, together. <clears throat> All right, so we're in our, our, our third and final week in this um, sort of mini-series on the, the Lord's Prayer, and uh, Jesus shows us and tells us how we are to pray from Luke chapter 11 in this more condensed Lukean version of the, the Lord's Prayer. And so Jesus teaching us how to pray, I think we can be very confident that we are looking to a good source of authority on how we should pray. So let's look at Luke chapter 11 and let's read it together, starting in in verse 1. We're going to start right out the gate reading the scripture. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend? Will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on the journey, and I have nothing to set before him. He will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, He will rise and give you whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if he has a son, asks for a fish? Well, instead of a fish, give him a serpent. Or he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. And may the Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear, to see his holy inspired in an errant word for his glory and for our joy. Amen. All right, so from the onset, on, on, onset, onset of our time in the, the Lord's Prayer, we have seen that the purpose of our prayers and how we pray is the same purpose of our lives. And that is for the hallowing of God's name, to the glory of of God. It's, it's a God-centeredness is our prayers to be shaped around. And we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago that one of the reasons why 
our, our prayers can be so frustrating and so perplexing is when the Lord is just silent even though we are praying. And we're asking for Him to desperately answer us. And, and when things don't play out the way that they shall go, if we believe underneath all of our prayers is for the hallowing of His name, then, then we can rest in the fact, no matter how frustrating and perplexing prayer can be, that God is working out all things according to His glory. That He's working all things out for His glory. And what we saw last week, as He's working all things out for His glory, He is also working all things out for our daily needs. So let's pray for our daily needs as dependent creatures. And so there's this pattern that Jesus is giving us that is quite intentional. Right? We don't just sling this statement around for God's glory because it sounds good and it tickles us. We say for God's glory is because we are desperate for the needs that God will give us for His glory. And what we've seen in the Lord's Prayer is that our needs and our glory, our His glory, are wrapped up together. They're, they're not separate. So for, for us to ask for our daily bread, whether it's spiritual or whether it's, 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 it's physical, whatever it is, we are saying that it's the Lord for His glory will meet that need so that He will be magnified, that He will be glorified, that His fame and His renown will be spread through the provision of that bread or the forgiveness of sin, or the deliverance from temptation. An implication that we learn from, from this pattern of prayer that Jesus gives us is, is that God's glory is not at odds with our interests, with our needs, with our desires, with our wants. They're, they're not at odds. In fact, what we've seen is that God very much is glorified in giving you and providing for you what you need. We see His glory in those provisions. Because we become amazed in His goodness and His generosity. So, so no matter how it feels, and that frustration, perplexing, when we don't understand why God's not maybe giving us that one thing, we can always trust and believe that when we seek God's glory, the, the truth is, is that we're seeking our, our, our own interests, our own very needs, because God is going to meet those needs. That sounds great. It's good news. And, and what we will see today from this passage and what we've already read this morning is this very thing. You know, one of my hopes and, and prayers and purposes of, of this little mini-series, of course, is part of the text, so I'm not going to skip over it, is, is, is that what, what, what we can, in a sense, correct and restore, um, restore a biblical idea of what Jesus teaches us about prayer. Um, have a correct understanding. Um, and, and the reason why I say that is, is not that you have an incorrect version of prayer, but there's some things about prayer that 
unfortunately, as Christians who are seeking to be biblical, have just been completely hijacked by Christians who are not biblical. And, and I use Christian loosely there, very loosely, unchristian. Right? There's, there's divergent groups of the prosperity gospel, which isn't a gospel at all. It's a gospel of legalism and slavery. And what makes me so angry about these divergent groups is they falsely represent Jesus. They falsely represent the gospel because in the prosperity gospel, Jesus' name is not being hallowed. Your selfish wants are being hallowed. The, the, the wealth that these false prophets gain is being hallowed and gained, and their renown is being spread, not the fame of Jesus Christ. And what makes it even worse, and what maybe has got us a little skewed in our understanding of prayer, is, is that because of that and that hijacking of, of, of prayer, um, the world has then assumed that we're all kind of lumped into the same group. That we're, that we're all the same. So, so remember, the prosperity gospel, when I, when I say that, is they, they believe that the good news of the gospel is, is not that Jesus Christ has come to set you free from the curse of sin and death by paying the penalty of sin's curse and death on the cross, but the whole point is to make your life better by giving you wealth and giving you things and prosperity and health. That's why Jesus came. Now, antithetical can you be to the gospel than that? How enslaving can that be? And, and so when it comes to, to, to prayer and about getting our things and wealth and prosperity according to them, there's this slogan that, that they've come up with, the name it and claim it, right? In fact, we'll say that the name and claim it prosperity. Whatever it is, I want it, I claim it, I stake my flag in the ground, and it's mine. And the problem is, is the Bible. The problem is, is the Bible. And, and most of us, and I say all of us, I'm sure, we, we have an aversion to this kind of prayer. You know what an aversion is? Like, you just don't want anything to do with it. And you're absolutely right. I'm not correcting you in that. Have an aversion to that kind of prayer. It's, it is unbiblical and it is detestable to that heresy. But because of our aversion, though, because of our ad aversion and our, in a sense, of fear to maybe move into that, to that heresy, the, the pendulum then sometimes can swing way far back the other way, almost too protective about our prayers and almost too protective of the Holy Spirit. And then we just kind of miss the whole glorious and sweet and beautiful realities of prayer. And so when we come to passages like this today, it, sometimes it can make us kind of feel a little awkward. We really don't know how to take Jesus. Does he really mean what he's saying here? But this is where, brothers and sisters, expositional preaching is just so helpful. Because I didn't just come here and say, out of the blue, ask, seek, and knock, and it shall be given to you. That sounds like Name it and claim it to me. But in the context, 
What expositional preaching has, has taught us is that what we ask and what we seek and what we knock for are the things that we will find and what will be given and what will be open to because it's for the hallowing of His name. Not mine. Not yours. And of course, that's our whole resound of why we're asking and seeking and knocking. God, I want you to be glorified. I want you to be glorified. I want your kingdom to come. It's not. I'm asking, seeking, and knocking to win the Powerball. Give me the winning ticket, because I won't even go buy one, right? But the context tells us it's not about me, it's not about you, it's about the hallowing of God's name. Now, when we read verses 5 through 13, and we, we just did, do, do you see how provocative Jesus describes how we are to pray? Do you see how provocative it is? I mean, how, how just kind of, like, it, it rubs us wrong. It kind of rubs us a little bit like as if we're going to be like the prosperity people. I mean, that first illustration is, is almost like he's telling us to shamefully beg God for your needs to be met. It almost seems in that last illustration that, that Jesus himself is telling you, have an expectation in your prayers that every time you pray, God is going to say yes. That, that makes us feel a little weird. Well, that's what we're going to see today. And I hope in doing so, we're going to recover, we're going to redeem a biblical view of how we pray. And I think that's what Jesus is doing. A biblical view that pray that magnifies him. And, and I'm going to show you. So first off, he tells us to pray relentlessly, or relentlessly pray. To pray relentlessly. And, I, I, and I, of course he doesn't use that word relentlessly. That's, that's kind of my word. Um, because I can kind of see in this little illustration, it kind of made me think of my own life. And, and sometimes uh, we, and Christina too, she can understand this, we get asked a lot of questions a lot all the time and, 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 and things, and, and it's nonstop. I mean, it's almost, it's not 24 hours a day, but it's like 19 and a half. And, and, and after a while, I mean, there's been times in my frustration where I'm in my... Um, in my Jim Carrey Grinch voice, I'm like, they're relentless, right? And, and that's what I think about in this, this section here is there's this relentless idea of, of, of prayer. So here's the situation that starts out here in verse 5 and goes through verse 8. This dude has gone to bed. He's put his kids to bed, which is a big deal when you're a parent, by the way. You get your kids to bed, and it's the last thing you want is some moron waking them up, no matter who it is, right? That's the last thing you want. Unless you have good locks on your door, like, doors like we do. Um, it's not as bad. Now, now, he's pretty worried about this stuff because their houses are small, right? That's why they're all kind of gathered in the same, the same bed and their homes were, 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 were small. But let's, let's kind of put this maybe in, in a context maybe we can understand. Um, have you ever had that buddy who's called you up in the middle of the night, you know, needing, needing help, 
Maybe it was high school, college, might have been last week. And, and, and it goes like something like this, right? And this is my conversation that I wrote out, so pay attention. Ring, phone's ringing, right? Hey, man, you up? I've texted you like 50 times, and I called you like five. I know. And no, of course I'm not up. It's 2.30 in the morning. Why are you texting and calling me? Some of you heard this before, right? So, um, man, you, you know it's been raining a lot this summer. Well, me and Joe, you, you remember Crazy Joe, uh, we were out driving and we decided to go down, you know, that old dirt road that you and I used to go down. You got stuck, didn't you? Yeah, and I am not coming to get you again. It's not happening. I am not coming. Dude, you, you have to. I, I've tried calling everyone, and, and you're the only one with full of drive. And you, I know you got that chain still in the back of your truck. And if you don't come, I'm going to be here all night. I might be stuck out here for days. We're in the middle of the road. I'm not coming. If I get up, everyone's going to wake up. And I got church in the morning, you know, because this sort of thing always happens on a Saturday night, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Kenny's like, no, that's never happened to me. <laughs> I can't come. Come on, man, don't leave me hanging. Click. Phone rings again. Dude, I'm going to keep calling you. All right, send me your, where you're at. Right? Some of you all have heard that before. If you haven't, you've heard other people talk about those buddies who call you in, in the middle of the night. But, it, but isn't that how it goes? And, and it's not really too different from this parable. Well, why did the sleeping guy eventually give his friend food? Well, for the same reason why this other sleeping guy eventually said, where are you at, I'll come get you. And verse 9 tells us, it's not because he's his buddy. It's because he's sick of hearing from him. That phone's just going to keep on ringing. The texts are just going to keep on coming. And verse 9 uses this word in the ESV called impudence, right? Kind of a funny word, word that we don't really use too much. But it means, means someone who is going outside, uh, behaving outside of what we would call uh, socially normal, right? It's not necessarily socially normal and acceptable to call a buddy up in the middle of the night and ask them for help. Uh, the ESV translate, or the NIV, I'm sorry, translates it as shameless audacity. I like that one too. I don't say that much about the e NIV, but I actually like that one. Shameless audacity. NASB translates it as persistent. Persistent. Right? So usually we'd see this as something as bad. Impudence being bad or shameless audacity or, or, or being shameless. But in this case, this guy's shameless pleading going against the social norm is, is actually for his good because he has a buddy that's showed up at his house in the middle of the night, which is that's when they traveled, was in the middle of the night. And so he showed up. He needed food. He didn't want to dishonor his friend that came for food. They understood this parable. So even though it was kind of socially acceptable to wake up your neighbor for food, it was still socially audacious to still wake up his friend. In a sense, it's kind of commendable because he was pursuing the food necessary to honor his friend. And so he asked, and he asked. If, if you read this parable 
from the point of view, the point of view of the sleeping grouchy guy, and, and, you, and you read it from the point of view of, of, of this guy rather than the guy that's needing for bread, then it's not going to make much sense. It's, it's not going to make much sense. And here's why. Because Jesus is showing us that we pray like, if when we pray like this, uh, this guy at midnight, we pray uh, impudently, shamelessly, audaciously like this guy. And, and what he's showing us here is that if the grouchy sleeping guy is going to eventually wake up and, and help his buddy, how much more will a good, loving, heavenly father do for his children? I think we know the answer to that question, don't we? Lydia. So why does God want us to pray like this, relentlessly? Here's why. Because most of us really have no idea how much we need the Lord. No, no matter what the situation, we are needy. And no matter what has drove us to prayer, we are still needier than that. Let's face it, there have been times in our lives where we we have been more faithful in prayer than others because in those moments we had a sense of our neediness. We had a sense of our, of our desperation. But Jesus is saying, you're always needy. You're, you're always needy. You just don't need him now. You need him all the time. It's just that those good moments and those good times, you just don't realize it. Our lives are spent on a tightrope. And we just don't realize it. Stay in your seat. Okay? We're living our lives on a tightrope and we, we, really, we really don't realize it. You know, we pride ourselves on being self-sufficient in our culture. And, and, and we don't ask for help and we don't really want any sometimes. You know, unless it's something absolutely we, we can't do alone, and then maybe we ask. And, and isn't that how we also treat prayer? Isn't that how we treat prayer? I, I don't need anything right now. I'm good. But what Jesus has been saying in the Lord's Prayer, and even in this illustration, is he's saying, you've got to be kidding me. You, you're needy. This, this world is burning all around you. Your world is on fire and, and, and you need bread and you need forgiveness and, 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 and sin is eating your lunch. You're kidding me. You need to be on your knees right now begging for help. We don't pray relentlessly because we need to wake God up because we think God's asleep to our needs and he needs to be convinced of them. We pray relentlessly because we are the friend who has nothing to give unless our friend gives us something. We are desperately, desperately needy. But what are we needy for? So, so here's the, the breakdown for, for so many in this text. We, we think it's about us. 
we think once again that it's about meeting those perceived needs that only we can see. But what we are desperately needing in our lives more than anything else is not for things that have nothing to do with the name and the renown of of Jesus. What we need most, and we see this in the context, is for the hallowing of God's name, for God's glory to be shown in our lives, and for our wills to be subjugated to His glorious will. That's what we need. That's what we plead for relentlessly. That's what's underneath all of our needs. Don't want what you want with no concern for His plan and for His will. Remember, everything we ask for, we ask in such a very limited scope and view. We see here and now in this moment. I can't see five seconds in front of me. I can guess. I can't, I can't see what I'm going to be doing later on this afternoon. I kind of have an idea. Go hurricanes. But in my limited scope, I have no clue. I don't even know what's going on in my truck right now. The Lord knows because he's already there. Our view is very limited. And so when we pray and we plead, let's underneath all of that pray according to his will and to his glory because his view is not limited. It's infinite. And when we pray for his glory and we pray for those things that we need, we know the Lord will meet those things according to his glory and for our joy. Now, how do I know that? How do I make such a statement? Well, the rest of the passage shows us. But let's tack on a little bit more to the relentless. And the next one is persistently pray. Persistently pray. We see that in verses 9 and... Man, you're not going to be happy until you knock that over. We're regressing a little bit here, but it's okay. We're going to be persistent. She's relentless, I'm persistent. We make a great team. We persistently pray. Verses 9 and 10. That's the ask, seek, and knock, right? Just like how the guy's at the door, right? You know, he gets a little more persistent when the buddy's not coming to the door, when he yells at him. You know, he, he, eventually, he eventually gets up to, to the guy. Lydia, Suzanne. Stop. This is what the friend does, doesn't he? Asks, seeks, knocks, he knocks on the door. And again, we have to be careful with these verses, right? Let's not read into what we want. They must be read and understood in the context of the Lord's Prayer. Ask, seek, and knock, though, is about persistence. It's about persisting in in, in a prayer that is ongoing and also increasing in intensity. Right? You see that? You ask, you seek, and you knock. There's There's an increasing in intensity. It's a prayer that's regular and continual and and consistent. So keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And why do we do that? Well, it goes back to what we said earlier. Because we're needy. We need to keep asking. We need to keep seeking and knocking. 
And it's in prayer where, where God has appointed to us to experience communion with him and assurance in this life. Do you know how good and life-giving it is for our hearts and our souls to pray like this? And praying like this, knowing and believing and trusting in a good and glorious God who is also our Father. Do you know how much that changes the soul? How that transforms the hearts where we're no longer, sometimes those desires are no longer what we want, but we want the desires of God. I think it's Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. God will give you the desires of your heart when you what? Delight yourself in the Lord. So what ends up happening inevitably is that you delight in the Lord. What the Lord delights in then becomes what I delight in. It now becomes what I delight in, what I desire. And so then I begin to pray what God wants. And guess what God's going to give us? What he wants. It changes us. It moves us. When we see his will being done in our lives, that is a glory. There's, there's no greater feeling in this life when we see the will of God being manifest in our lives and we see it happening and we just say, hallowed be your name. This persistency, though, asking, seeking, knocking, is not repetitious. It's not just mere religious routine. We're, we're not praying incantations to manipulate God to do our bidding. That's not what Jesus was saying. So if we pray today, Father, your kingdom come. If we pray today, Father, your kingdom come. That's a great prayer, isn't it? It's, it's worth praying. We're told to pray and we desire that. But what about tomorrow? What, what about tomorrow? What if tomorrow we, we forget to pray that prayer? We forget, to, we forget that prayer. And, and as you know, time will go on. And as this mini-series ends, we're not going to talk about the Lord's Prayer very much anymore. We may come back to it a little bit throughout the year. And maybe a year goes by, and we haven't even really heard the words, Your kingdom come. It's not been on our minds. We have not been praying. What does that tell us? What does that tell you? What does that tell me? Well, it tells me that sadly the kingdom of God is not really important at all, does it? But if it's something that we are asking and seeking and knocking for persistently, relentlessly before the Lord, then it's very important to us. It's what we desire. Asking, seeking, and, and, and knocking are are the increasing intensity of our hearts because we want our desires to be set with the Lord. They are not acts of works, but they are acts of faith. Not ritual, but reliance. The Old Testament tells us that, that Jacob wrestled with an angel all night long. And he 
persistently, relentlessly would not let him go until he blessed him. The, the fight was so intense that it left Jacob with a limp for the rest of his life. But also the blessing of the Lord and a new name. Hannah pleaded with God so much that Eli the priest saw Hannah and he's like, this woman is drunk or nuts. And, and Hannah was like, no. I just want the Lord to answer my prayer. And the Lord did. The Lord answered her prayer in giving her Samuel. Jesus prayed in the garden. And he paid, prayed so persistently and so intensely that he sweated drops of blood, asking, seeking, and knocking. But, but here's another problem that comes up. We, we have the asking part down, though. Like, we, we, we know that, that we are to ask and, and, and stuff, but what about the seeking and knocking? What does that necessarily mean? I think it means this. We ask, and then we seek, and we knock, which means we don't stay where we are. We, we move, and we, we go. Often our, our, our prayers honestly pray, Lord, we, we pray things like, Lord, take this from me. Lord, I, I don't like this thing about me. I don't like this sin in my life. I don't like this attitude. I don't like this, this heart that, I'm, that I have right now, this bitterness or whatever it may be. Will you please do something here? Will you do something in this idea? I, I, I can't understand why this is happening. Lord, it's still here. Take it from me. We, we pray this way. But, but we don't do anything about it. We don't, we don't do anything about it. We don't, we don't confess our sin to a brother and we wonder why the sin is still there. We don't get help or get counseling when, when it's necessary. We don't apply the scripture and the means of grace that God has given us in the church to help us in those things that we are praying for. I know you all have heard the story of the guy who was on his roof because it was flooding, and he was on his roof, and he prayed, Lord, save me. Y'all heard this, right? Save me. So here comes his neighbors in, in their makeshift boat. And they say, come on, man, we got room for one more. They throw him a lifeline, and he goes, I'm trusting the Lord on this one. I mean, if anyone's going to save me in the flood, it's him. I saw a rainbow yesterday. I'm not going to die here. All right, we got to get out of here. It's getting dangerous. They take off. Here comes a fire rescue boat. All right? Here comes a legit fire rescue boat. And they throw a line to him. Get in the boat, man. We've got to get out of here. Nope. Lord's going to save me. Well, we don't have time. We've got to forget other people. They go on. Here comes a National Guard Black Hawk helicopter over the house, buckets lowered down. There's people that they've already rescued. And he looks up and he yells, Nope! Lord's going to save me! You know what happens. The dude dies. He drowns. Now, this is fictional, okay? So don't quote my theology, get my the your theology from me in this story. The guy says to the Lord, God, why? I pray the prayer here to save me. 
And of course, you know God's reply. So the three rescuers I sense were not answering your prayer? It's funny. Thank you, Kelly, for laughing. But isn't that sometimes what we do? We pray and we ask and we ask and we ask, but we don't seek. We don't take the means of grace that God has already given us to answer those prayers. Memorizing scripture. Brothers and sisters to encourage, confessing sin, whatever it is. Now, now understand what I'm not saying here. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, that it's your job to make your own way and you must help yourself because God helps those who help themselves. That's stupid. That's unbiblical. Sorry, Benjamin Franklin. You had some great ideas, but that wasn't one of them. He said that. That's not in the Bible, by the way. God does not help those who help themselves. I cannot help myself. I needed Christ. We need to seek and we need to ask and knock with what the Lord has given us. Kill pride. Kill pride. Before things get on fire, kill pride and seek. What often spills out, I think, in most of our lives when we just ask and we're not really seeking is we're not desperate enough yet. We're not desperate enough yet. We don't feel it enough yet. What often happens, though, it becomes too late, doesn't it? Like the guy on the roof. It becomes too late. Things are on fire, and it's just too late. Ask, and it will be given to you. Hallowed be your name. Seek, and it will be given to you. Hallowed be your name. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Hallowed be your name. Lastly, pray expectantly, or expectantly pray. And this is where Jesus kind of brings it all together, but he also brings it full circle for us, back up to the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Look at the text again in verse 11. Jesus is illustrating to us the point of praying with an expectation that God will answer. Right? That God answers our prayers with yes. And he gives us an illustration that we can even understand 2,000 years later. It's a story about a father and a son. And the son asks, Dad, can I have a fish? And the father doesn't give his son a serpent because the serpent will bite him. He gives him a fish. And he says, Dad, can I have an egg for breakfast? The father doesn't give his son a scorpion. He gives him an egg. We, we understand that, even in our, our, our natural relationships. Even if you didn't have a good fatherly relationship, you understand that there was something wrong there, that something wasn't right. We understand that this is the, the natural understanding of a relationship between a father and a child or his children because the role as a father is to love and to care for their children and to do what is good for them all the time. So, of course, they're not going to give them a snake or a scorpion. But notice here that it's not how we pray. It's not the words of eloquence. It's not the success in prayer that maybe we think we should be or good at it. It's not repetition. It's not deal-making. God doesn't answer our prayers to that. God answers his prayer according to what? What does it say? He answers our prayers according to his goodness as our Father. He's a good 
Father. But, but couldn't this story also go the other way too? What if the son asked his father for a snake? I know there's some kids that ask their kids for snakes and, and their parents give them to them. That's moronic. That would be evil, right? What, what, what father then honors that? For, or how about a scorpion? What, what father honors that? Doesn't it, doesn't it go the other way? You know, when, when, when you're at the store with your kids, it's inevitable that one of them's going to ask for something, like candy, right? Mom, can I have seven blow pops? And, and if you love them, right, if we love them, we care for them and care for their, their graces, we're definitely not going to get them seven of them. But we're going to lovingly say no. And, and if you, especially if you only have one child and you still have some patience and wits about you, depending on how they went, you're going to be able to actually have a good little explanation. No, sweetie, or no, darling, or son. I, I, we love you, and, and this is just not good for you today, right now. You know, we haven't had dinner yet, and, and all these things. You can get sick, especially if you eat seven of them. You know, and that's all motivated by love because you know they're good. You know what's better for them, right? You, you know they're good better than they know you're, they're good. That's why you're parents. We, we parent them, and we shepherd them. Now, often with children, that falls on deaf ears, doesn't it? Because you get that question again and again. That's why I said relentless. We, the wicked father gives their children not only what would hurt them, but gives them what they want, knowing that it's going to hurt them. The good father always gives to his sons and daughters what he sees and he knows with a vision that he has been given will bring value and depth and meaning for the child. So that's what this illustration is conveying to us about God. So whereas we, we didn't want to look at God as the grumpy sleeping guy, right? Here, Jesus really wants us to see the Father here as, the, as God. That's why he brings it full circle. We pray, Father, hallowed be your name. He ends with this illustration here with, with, with Father. So God, who is infinite in knowledge, he's sovereign over all things, and, and as you might plead and pray for health or life, the removal of pain, all these things that we are think, think are good, maybe it's closure in relationships or death or whatever it may be, sometimes he may say no. And, and when we see no, often not, we think that God is punishing us. There's punitive punishment there. Like it's something that we don't deserve because I didn't do this when I was in high school. Or I was a jerk to this person in high school, or I was mean, or I did this. And we think God is just getting back at us. And of course, we don't deserve any good thing from the Lord. But it's not about what we deserve at this point. The point is that He is a gracious and good and loving Father and he gives us all these good gifts according to his infinite knowledge and his sovereign will, that which we do not know. So the perspective then maybe should be as the way Calvin put it, John Calvin. He said, God does not answer our prayers as we pray them, but as we would pray them if we were wiser. God doesn't answer our prayers sometimes as we pray them, but as we would pray them if we were wiser, like God. Has it ever occurred to you that maybe sometimes we were praying for a serpent, but we didn't even know it? 
And we could be asking for a scorpion with our very limited scope in life. The Bible gives us pretty good evidences of this too, and I'm just going to give you one. Elijah, the great prophet in the Old Testament, he once prayed that he would see the glory of God be restored and manifested in Israel once again. At, at that time, God's answer to Elijah was, no way, Jose, or no way, Elijah. It's not going to happen. My will is to judge and bring the curse of the covenant on Israel. God didn't answer the prayer that he wanted then, did he? But if Elijah was a little bit more wiser, like in the way that he could see that God can see, is what would have been greater than the glory and the manifestation of Israel is what he saw in Luke chapter 9. On Luke chapter 9, you may remember that he was transfixed on the mountain with Moses. And then here came Jesus who out-transfigured them all. Showed him what? The glory of God in Israel. The better Israel. The Israel that should have been. The new Adam. The son of God. So God answered Elijah's prayer, but not as Elijah prayed it. He wanted it in his lifetime, but if he could see what God could see, and he was a little wiser, that's what he would have prayed, wouldn't it? And that's what we would pray. And Jesus is telling us, and Luke is recording this fact, that for the believer in Jesus Christ, God always answers our prayers. They're always yes. They just may not be what you prayed. Because it's always yes for what? Your good. Yes for your good. There are things in my life that I did not choose. And, and given the choice, I wouldn't have chose them. And yet God has brought those things to me and put those things in my life for my good, for his glory. And he tells us what the greatest gift is, and we're going to finish with this. The greatest gift that we pray for in prayer is what? What does he say? The Holy Spirit. Matthew doesn't give us that. Luke does. The Holy Spirit. If you then, verse 13, if you then who are evil, like there's theology right there, by the way, boom, huge theology, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He may not answer the prayer in the way that we would want Him to. In fact, I think it's more like we have no clue what we're really asking. But the answer and the greatest gift that God will always give us is the Holy Spirit. He'll always give us the Holy Spirit to protect us, to bless us, to lead us, to give us grace and communion with Himself. And what can be greater than that? Than communion with God through the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus cherished the most. I don't know if y'all saw that. Jesus cherished that. And you see Luke highlighting that. He loved communing through the Holy Spirit. His answer to our prayers is always yes to what is good for us, especially in the work of the Holy Spirit. So for the things that we are praying for, that one thing that we desperately want, and, and his answer is going to maybe be no, we can trust 
that in that know that his love and mercy as a good and loving father is always yes. It's always yes for our good. Praying expectantly that God will always say yes to your good. Jesus is teaching us something how, teaching us about how we are to pray this morning again. And, and I think it's very good for us. We're, we're seeing for ourselves and we are seeing Him. So we're, we're seeing ourselves as we are and we're seeing Him. And, and, but the bottom line though in this little mini-series on the Lord's Prayer in this text this morning, I think it really boils down to one question. Do you trust Him? Do you trust that the Lord is your loving Father and every prayer answered by Him is a yes for your good? You know, eventually there will be a time when, when, when whether we do or we don't trust, it's going to come out. It's going to be exposed. Do you really believe that He is good? There is a vast difference between knowing and believing that God is good and having to understand why God answers the prayers the way he does. I've been in those places, as I'm sure some of you, when there's absolutely no understanding of why. We have no understanding of why. And no matter how much time has passed, we still can say, I have no clue why. And you want to know why you don't have understanding? Because the Bible doesn't put that weight upon you. You're not meant to understand. You don't hold the cosmos. God does. He understands, and he alone has understand. But the Bible does tell us and teach us over and over and over again to trust, to believe, to have faith. To have faith. to have faith that your father is hallowing his name and he'll provide for you and that he's always working for your good, he's always working for his glory and he always answers his prayers according to his providential plan which is beautiful, which is glorious and it's to work out all things to be new and to be made new. We see evil atrocities on, in our world almost weekly, daily at times and even things that we don't know. That's the why. I don't know why. But we can believe that God is good, He's a loving Father, and that He's making all things new. And not just the big things in this world, but also in your life. The things that seem to be crazy and out of control and chaotic. Maybe everything one day might make sense. Probably not, though. But we can trust and pray that God's name would be hallowed. And we continually want to pray persistently and relentlessly that his kingdom will come, that he will give us the provision of our daily bread, that he would forgive us of our sins as we forgive the debts of those who have sinned against us, and that we'll pray for deliverance from those sins. As we pray to our good Father relentlessly, persistently, and expectantly. Let's pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Lead us not into temptation, 
and forgive our sins and lead us not into temptation for your glory and our joy. Amen.